You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 18 and following. A house divided, just a reminder, uh, verse 10 of chapter 1 is the theme of this entire book especially the first three chapters, it says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And just by way of reminder, each and every week, we have been united in Christ uh, or to Christ. So therefore, we all, uh, all must be united in Christ. There must be unity in the church as a result of our restoration to God. All right. So that means to agree together, as Paul has said here, and to be of the same mind and the same judgment. Uh, just helping out our tech crew back there. If you hit F5, you should be able to fire that up on the screen. So maybe that'll uh, help there. All right. So chapter three, Paul has been dealing with a particular issue that causes division Perhaps the very core issue, and that's the issue of pride. And I've said to you for four weeks in a row now, you can't be a united church if you're too busy tripping over your own ego. And that would be true. So Paul goes to bat against the pride that he sees in the church at Corinth. Four different ways that he's done this. The first was to deal with the issue of spiritual maturity. And he told them they were still acting like spiritual children. It was time that they grow up and they act their age spiritually, <coughs> so to speak. The, the next thing that he did was deal with two different illustrations to deal with the issue of pride. Because remember, Corinth felt like they, they had hung the moon, so to speak. They uh, were the best thing of the kingdom so far. And so there was uh, one illustration given of a field, the other illustration given of a building. And he reminded them that you were only part of this field and part of the building. And you ultimately don't bring any growth, nor do you ultimately build on any other foundation. God provides the growth in the church, and the foundation is and can only be Jesus. And we must build upon Him and Him alone. So that was the picture that we saw. Well, Paul moves on to one final section of chapter 3, and it is a final Sharp warning against pride. In fact, this particular passage could be seen as the bookend of the first three chapters to close kind of this general teaching on unity. Now, the rest of the book, the rest of the letter is all about unity, but he he deals with the specific issues of their disunity. So we're going to look at those things over the course of the coming months, especially after Easter. But here there's a final sharp warning about pride. 
And it's a warning about the danger of self-deception, the danger of self-deception. So if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me as we give honor to the reading of God's word. First Corinthians chapter three, beginning verse 18, the Bible says this. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may be wise, become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that you would show us the great danger of self-deception. Show us that it is entirely possible for us to, in good conscience, believe that we are in the truth, believe that we know the truth, and that we are making sound judgments, and yet not be. As believers, it's possible for us to deceive ourselves into doing things or believing things that are not biblical, that are not true. And so, Lord, I pray that you would dislodge those things in our hearts this morning, remind us of the truth. Holy Spirit, you would press that truth upon our hearts so that we are so deeply convicted that we would not be convinced otherwise. May you receive glory and honor. And God, we pray that the gospel would be central in all that we see here in this passage this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. A passage that you are well familiar with, no doubt, many of you, if not most of you, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. If you know it, you can kind of say it along with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You might have memorized that in a different translation. That's verse five, verse uh, verse five and six. Verse seven says this. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh And refreshment to your bones. The call of God on every single person. Man, woman, boy, girl. The the call of God on mankind is to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. By the way, that's the very invitation of the gospel, is it not? That we would trust in Jesus with all of our hearts. That we would turn from the sin which so easily ensnares us. The sin which ultimately condemns us. That we would turn to the true and living God and profess our faith in Christ and Christ alone. Our need for Him. His death and His resurrection. In order that our sins might be forgiven. And in order that we might be born again. Well, that act acknowledges Christ. It acknowledges Him In all of our ways, it fears him, as the writer of Proverbs has said, and it calls us to turn away from evil and turn to him. The Bible calls it 
repentance. But the call to trust in the Lord is not only a call to start trusting in God, but also to stop trusting in yourself. This is hugely important. The call to trust in God is also a call to stop trusting in yourself. And so the writer of Proverbs says, do not lean on your own understanding. He says, do not be wise in your own eyes. In other words, not only don't trust yourself, but you can't trust yourself. Your own understanding at all, your own opinion, your own judgment. Do not be wise in your own eyes, he says. Well, that is Paul's argument here in verse 18, the beginning of our text. When he says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become let him become a fool that he may become wise. If anyone is wise in his own eyes, essentially, he's only then deceiving himself. If we claim to be smart enough, good enough, wise enough, we think we've got a handle on life. We are only deceiving ourselves. Well, the church in Corinth legitimately believed that they were right in all that they were arguing for. Otherwise, they wouldn't be arguing for it. And that is that is something to consider. Right. It's not just that the church at Corinth didn't believe the right things and were arguing for the wrong things. They wouldn't have argued for those things if they didn't actually believe them. They were, in fact, deceived. They believed that their own opinions were right. Their arguments were valid. Their perspective was clear. Their judgment sound. How many of you have been driving down the road before and you went to change lanes or make a turn and you realized, oops, there's somebody in a, what do you call it? Blind spot. Right? They had some blind spots. They could not, listen to this, they could not have been more wrong, but they also could not have been more convinced that they were right. It's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? To believe a lie so clearly and so strongly that you cannot discern what is true from what is error. They were totally convinced. We often find ourselves in this place of believing things that are not true. And we become so dogmatic in our opinion in those particular areas. I I know that even theologically many Christians have become dogmatic in ways that later the Word of God has brought to light that they were so off and their faith had to be conformed to what the Word actually was teaching. This is the church It wasn't just that their opinions were wrong. The very standard by which they were making judgments was fatally flawed. And Paul uses a very strong word to describe that condition. It's the word deceived. They did not know what they did not know. Imagine if you were a judge sitting in a courtroom and you were responsible for making the decision on a particular case. You listen to all the sides of the case and every argument that is there, attorney after attorney, witness after witness, and all of the information about the case is presented to you. And it has come time for you to make a judgment. 
And so you make a judgment based on the evidence that has been presented to you. And you're fully convinced that that's the right decision. Otherwise, you would not have made it. And you make this decision and you're dogmatic in that decision. And maybe even questioned on it, you give defense of the decision that you made, that it's good and right. Sometime after the case, you learn that some, if not a large majority of the evidence that you considered was simply made up. It's false. The decision that you made was based on the information that you had, but the decision still was, it was still wrong. It's the wrong judgment. You were using a standard of judgment that was not trustworthy, right? Using a, a pool of evidence that could not be believed, uh, an argument that was false and invalid. You were still wrong, even though you believed yourself to be fully right. Why? Because the standard by which you were judging was wrong. This is the very case that Corinth finds themselves in. They're judging based on their own wisdom, not the wisdom of God. Their very standard of judgment is fatally flawed and they have deceived themselves. If anyone thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Paul says you're not even in the category of wise because you're trusting in yourselves and ultimately it is deceptive. You and I as Christians cannot ultimately trust our own judgment alone. So can I say to you this morning, what Paul is aiming for us to see is that anyone who trusts merely in human wisdom is deceived. Anyone who trusts merely in human wisdom is deceived. Now that that may seem fairly obvious, but we live in a generation who is very good at trusting our own wisdom. Right. We we are a generation of people and no doubt the Hoovers will hear this a lot while they're in Orlando. We are a generation of people who are a Disney generation raised on the mantra. Follow your heart. Right. Do what you dream of. Do what makes you happy. Disney taught us this as kids and we've learned to follow it as adults. Our culture Taught us the standards that we have are now based on how we feel in the moment. What is what is the best for us? They're not rigid and set in stone and and immovable. They are flexible. Even the law itself around us, as we think about laws that are being passed, those laws are relative to our feelings and our opinions. We we don't have a standard of judgment. We've taken this worldview into our parenting, raising our children. We raise them to value most pursuing the American dream. What will make them happy and most fulfilled to follow their hearts becomes the guiding principle of dating and marriage. As teenagers look for people, a mate who would make them most happy. The person that they would be happily ever after with. And now we've so distorted that, that that definition can take any form at all. Why? 
Because happiness is the chief goal. Trusting ourselves. Living for us. Live your best life now. Paul seems to be saying the opposite here, doesn't he? He basically is asking the rhetorical question, can you even trust yourself to make a sound decision? Well, the Bible answers that question resoundingly. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful. If you follow after your heart, your own judgment, your own reasoning, your own wisdom, as the people at Corinth were, ultimately it will lead you to what? Deception. That is the natural outworking of following human wisdom. And ultimately that deception led them to the place of division. And so to trust your own heart, your own judgment... Is like a a judge who makes a decision based on a preponderance of evidence that is false. It seems right. It seems good. But in the end, the standard of judgment is wrong. The Bible says that there is a way that seems right unto a man. And in the end, it leads to destruction. This is always the outcome of human reason. It leads us... To our own destruction. Why? Because man is sinful. And even our own reason is broken. A generation who lives by the mantra, follow your heart then, is simply deceived. And we have evidences of that all throughout our culture and certainly within the church. And so the question becomes, if that is true, do not deceive yourselves. That's a Serious danger. How then does it impact the unity of the church? Why is this a concern for a church that is divided? Well, for one thing, we've already seen that it impacted their attitude toward one another. If you love your own opinion more than you love the people around you, then you're willing to mistreat the people around you in order to defend your opinion, right? We come to blows for what we want rather than coming to blows to protect one another, to serve one another, to love one another. So certainly that would be true. Our egos get in the way and we tend to treat one another without respect. We tend to treat one another without grace. We're not quick to forgive. We tend not to show kindness and mercy. All of that would be true of those who value their own wisdom more than they value one another. But there's an even more foundational issue at stake here. Human wisdom is not only deceptive, it's subjective. It means not everybody comes to the same conclusions. If we're all following our heart, your heart might lead you one direction and my heart lead me an entirely different direction. And here's the sad part. The sad part is every one of us is deceived and diseased, really sick, right? Jeremiah 17. Every one of us is deceived. We're following our own way and we're going how many different directions? Well, that depends on which direction you want to go and you want to go and you want to go. See, the result is that we're following a subjective body of what we call truth that is not truth at all. 
when the church does not have an objective, absolute, authoritative standard for faith and practice, then we will all be going 90 miles an hour in different and wrong directions. And this is where the church at Corinth finds themselves. And the greatest danger of it all is not that we will do so knowing that we're wrong, but in many cases we will do so believing fully that we're right. It's dangerous. The end of that road is even more dangerous when we consider the moral implications This church here at Corinth had become morally infected. And we see that as we walk through in the days ahead. As you see some of the things that the church at Corinth was facing. Man, there were so many sinful problems there in this very young church. Again, Paul speaks to them about being deceived in the second letter. Listen to these verses. Chapter 6 and verse 9. Or do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's asking him a rhetorical question. Do you not know this? Like this is something you should know by now. So he says again, do not be deceived. Neither sexually, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, that's who you were. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And he's addressing an issue at the church at Corinth where the the moral code that they had come to know and love because they were born again followers of Jesus. That moral code they had turned from and began to compromise at the church at Corinth. They began to look more like the world. And Paul reminds them, don't deceive yourselves. You cannot act like the world and go on living like an unbeliever and continue to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. It's not that you lose your salvation. It's that you demonstrate that maybe, maybe you need to do a real heart check as to whether you've ever trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, as you've, as, as if you've ever been born again. It's deceiving. Sin is deceiving. Living according to our own wisdom definitely leaves us relationally fractured, but more importantly, it leaves us morally fractured. This, by the way, is a great warning, great warning sign in the life of the church. The church that's relationally fractured, that's just the first step in division. It's when the church becomes morally fractured and turns entirely to its own vices. And the consequence, Paul says, of that, of, of our sin, by nature, is eternal separation from God. And it will ultimately lead to separation of fellowship within the church. So if all that's true, if it's a great danger, the question should be on your mind. How do we avoid self-deception? If you don't know what you don't know, then how do you know? (laughs) It's a pretty important question, right? How do we put safeguards in our life that would keep us from being deceived into thinking that we know and that we have the truth and yet be as far from it as we could possibly be? Well, Paul, 
here is wanting us to avoid self-deception, not just to warn us about it. He's not just giving a warning. He's giving an instruction. That's why he says to avoid it. That's why he says in chapter three, let no one deceive himself. It's a statement. And so the result is we have instruction from Paul on how to guard through three different particular ways. Pathway that he gives us as a church. Number one, humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before God. Paul writes, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age. In other words, if anyone among you has a a puffed up view of himself or herself. A a higher view of himself than what he really is. He thinks that he's wise. Let him become a fool that he may become wise. Lofty thoughts of ourselves that are puffed up and we think that are true and are wise according to the standard of this world. He says in order for us to become actually wise, we have to become fools. He's not talking about becoming stupid. He's talking about abandoning the wisdom of the world, which is the wisdom of our own hearts. He's already equated those two things together. So in order for us to put up a safeguard, we have to humble those those lofty thoughts. We have to come to the place that we confess that we are not as wise as we thought that we were. That we're capable of failing. Now, I know some of you are perfectionists in the room and you're never wrong. But as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus... The very first step in coming to faith in Christ is realizing how holy God is and how sinful I am and humbling ourselves in the presence of a holy God. You'll continue to be rece- uh, continue to be deceived rather as long as you remain wise in your own eyes. As long as your life mantra is I got this. I, I don't need anybody's help. Or perhaps no one's going to tell me what to do. And so you come to God with all of your problems and you offer him the solutions, right? We've all said these kind of prayers. We bring God the list of our problems and we tell him all the ways that he should fix it. And then we just sit back and wait on him to do that. No, the believer comes to God with three simple words. You ready? I'm going to have you repeat these after me because these are so hard to say. You ready? I don't know. Can you say that with me? I was watching it. I've gotten, I've become, maybe it's why I use a, a courtroom illustration. I've become kind of a Judge Judy junkie lately. And my wife makes fun of me. But anyway, I'm watching these things and, and she says to this guy, she says, I know, I know it's hard for you men to say this, but say this with me. I don't know. I thought that was a good thing for us to say. Right? Because we come to God and we think we have all the answers. But here's the reality. I don't know anything. Through all my wisdom, I broke the world. I broke my life. I come to God bankrupt, empty, in need of Him to act in ways that I don't even understand yet. 
Now, the cool thing about what God does is watch this now. God, when we pray and we come to him in those ways, he's already acting before we ever came to him in prayer. It's an amazing thing. It's called grace. And God does amazing things to bring us to himself and ultimately to keep us in him and to sanctify us as we walk with Jesus. But at the end of the day, we as his people must come to the realization that I have absolutely nothing to offer. It is God whom I have come to receive. This is why there's warnings all over Scripture. James chapter 4. If you want um, to have a bad day, read the book of James. (laughs) Um, James 4 and verse 6. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Already you're going. I got some work to do. Verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying your mind is, is set on things that are not godly and you believe it to be right. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Like, that's... That's life goals. I don't want to be happy anymore. Verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And at the end of verse 10, he says, he will exalt you. You cannot be lifted up in Christ. You cannot receive joy in Christ. You cannot be laughing in Christ. Your joy is not turned to mourning until you've weeped over your condition and you realize That before God, you are in utter need. And when you realize it and you humble yourself before him, he is the one who ultimately lifts you up. Oh, that's a safeguard. I don't have any answers. Jesus, you have them all. And I trust that as I turn to you and humble myself before you, that you will lead me. First Peter chapter five. This is another good one. Clothe yourselves. This is verse five. First Peter five and verse five, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We are like helpless babies. We just we just Place ourselves at the mercy of God. God, would you act? God, would you care for me? God, would you provide for me? God, would you keep me from wandering? Just as we just sang, would you bind my wandering heart to thee? Would you do that? Because otherwise, I'm just a dumb sheep who's going to run off and fall into a pit somewhere. Get caught in the thorns. Man, I got a lot of good stories for that one, but remind me to tell you later. Micah 6 and verse 8, he's told you, O man, what is good. I want to know what that is, don't you? What is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We must humble ourselves before God. The pride in us has to get out of the way before Jesus can be exalted. So you want to make sure you're not deceiving yourself. You get rid of self altogether. 
and you follow after Jesus, which leads to number two. Examine yourself according to God's word. We're going to do some digging here. Examine yourself according to God's word. Look at verse 19 with me. Paul calls to mind two Old Testament passages. See if you notice them. Verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. By the way, that should be familiar. That was chapter 1, verse 18, repeated. Right? The wisdom of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It says in the middle of verse 19, For it is written, important phrase, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, so it is written again, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So, right, so what's he saying here? Well, two Old Testament passages Job chapter 5 and verse 13 is the first one. And you might remember the story, three friends of Job. Job is there and he is, he is praying through and suffering in the things that God has allowed Satan to do in his life to test his faith. Long story, uh, great story. Uh, if you have time, 42 chapters worth, you should read that story. It's a good story. But three friends come to Job and they try to make explanation of what Job's walking through. One of those, a man by the name of Eliphaz. And this was part of, chapter 5, verse 13, was part of his counsel to Job. Now, the three friends gave some very short-sighted wisdom. But some of what they said was good. And Paul is calling to mind that very text. He catches the wise in their craftiness almost verbatim out of job chapter 5 and verse 13 he's trying to encourage job warn job that nobody can pull one over on god remember eliphaz thinks that there's some hidden sin in the life of job and that's the reason he's suffering so he gives him good counsel based on what he believed to be true bad judgment but good good counsel what he believed to be true and that counsel is Be careful, Job. You think you're wise and you're pulling one over on God. He's going to catch you in it. That's the word of the Lord. God confounds the wisdom of the wise, Paul says in the first chapter. The second one, Psalm chapter 94 and verse 11. That's where it's quoted from. The Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise, they are futile. The context there is the enemy of God's people coming against them. And it looks like they've won. And there's the psalmist is even kind of mocking the the enemy as they say, God doesn't even see what you're going through. Where is your God now? It's the same kind of thing that that the prophets of Baal said. Where is your God now when you pray to him? And they use some other colorful questions. The thoughts of the wise are futile The Lord reminds the enemy. You may think you have one up on the Lord, but in the end, it works out in his favor. So watch what happens. This is the word of the Lord. Essentially, from Eliphaz to Job, from from David to God's people. And ultimately, Paul is now using both of those passages to remind the church at Corinth of the truth. What is it? It's the word of God. He's taking God's word and he's correcting their thoughts. 
In each of these cases, the thoughts of man are in direct conflict with the thoughts of God's word. And Paul and the others are taking God's word and saying, that's not true. Here's what is true. It's the very thing that the word of God does for us. The Bible is constantly correcting our thoughts and our wisdom and our judgment. Praise God, he does not just simply leave us as his people to our own vices. He has given us his word that is inerrant, that is authoritative, that is sufficient in all that it says. And is God's authoritative word to us that we must obey. And it corrects us and it rebukes us and it encourages us. God's word is profitable for all things that we need. And so... Paul says, this is God's word to you, church. So you must examine your life according to it. And this is, of course, the echo of chapter 1 and verse 18, which finds its fullness of meaning in the cross. Jesus, who was the word incarnate. Jesus, who became flesh and dwelt among us. And in his life, we behold the glory of God. And Paul wrote there, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why? Because his word is changing us day by day, moment by moment. And so examine your life according to God's word. Believer, that is true for us. But if you are here this morning and you do not yet know Jesus, examine your life according to the trajectory of what God's Word says is the case. For example, that you are walking a path to destruction if you are without Christ. And the truth of God's word is that no matter how right the path looks, that in the end it ultimately leads to destruction. So would you examine your life according to the truth of God today? Will you turn to Christ Will you trust in Jesus today? Leads to number three. This is as true for those who do not yet know him this morning as it is for us who follow Jesus. Number three, submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In verse 21, he says, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. What is he doing there? Remember, they have already set a framework, a paradigm in motion. And that paradigm is I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. They are my authority. And in Greek culture, those authorities, you you essentially were owned by your teacher. You belonged to your teacher. But Paul says, no, you're free in Christ. You no longer have the right to make these claims because you have been set free from all of these things. And you have received all things to yourself. Doesn't mean right now you get everything that there is. This is a redemptive statement. An eternal statement that the earth, 
The earth has been given to you as an inheritance. You shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's the picture. It is an eternal inheritance promised to you, not because of anything that you've done and not by any right of your own, but because of the purchase rights for you through the blood of Jesus Christ. You have inherited all things. But he's not only doing that, he takes it a step further when he says, and... Christ is, you are Christ, you belong to Christ, and Christ is God's. He's not making Jesus less than God, he's putting together an authority structure. Namely, that Jesus does only the will of the Father, because he is, by the way, God in human flesh. He does only the will of the Father. We, as his people, do only his will. And we have inherited all things. That's the authority structure. When you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you humble yourself before him and you constantly examine yourself according to his word. But it's not enough that you see your sin for what it is. You and I must repent of our sin and turn and submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You want to know how to put safeguards up in your life so that you don't go off the path, so you don't go off on a, a rabbit trail uh, spiritually, so that you don't end up off, off in a ditch somewhere? You trust that, that God has all wisdom and you have none. And you examine your life according to His authoritative standard that never changes. And you say, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do because you're king and you're Lord of my life. That's what it means to put up safeguards. Doesn't always mean that you'll know the answers, but it means that when God shows you, you'll obey. Some of you don't know what you don't know. Some of you this morning, your pride has crept up in your life and you have begun to just kind of go through the motions. And some of you have some blind spots this morning that maybe God has revealed. And I'm praying that he would continue to do that. I want to call you this morning in the authority of God's word to see those blind spots for what they are and to humble yourself before God to submit to his word as this morning the word examines you. Some of you are seeking the wrong kind of wisdom as you're searching through whatever problem it is that you're trying to face. And you need to seek the wisdom of the Lord. Some of you are just following your heart, wherever your heart leads you. And you may not have gotten there yet, but it will lead you to destruction. You must follow Christ. And some of you are the very person I've described. You're in the position this morning that your life is headed in the wrong direction entirely. And today, today, that way seems so right. But tomorrow, tomorrow, you will be in eternal torment apart from following Christ. And I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to know Christ and to have eternal life and to inherit the whole earth as you find all of your joy and all of your fulfillment in the one who will never disappoint you. Christ and Christ alone. Would you bow your heads all across the room this morning? This morning we offer you the opportunity to obey Jesus here in this place in a public way. In just a few moments, we're going to stand. There'll be some music that's playing. 
an opportunity for you to come to this altar and to pray. Maybe you need to come and say, Pastor, today that's me. One of those areas you described, that's me. And and today I I need to turn to Jesus. I need you to pray with me. I I need your help. Tell me what to do. I'm going to point you to the word of God and God's going to give you the wisdom today to respond. You You just step out in faith and obey him as he calls you this morning. Maybe other decisions need to be made in this place. Today, we respond to Jesus in obedience. Would you stand with me all across this room? Father, we know the danger now from your word of being deceived. And so I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would remove the blinders in this place. God, that eyes would be opened to see your word and your will. And that we would be obedient by your grace. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music begins to play, you come this morning. The altar is open. Praise God, we don't need music. Amen. The voice of God is sufficient. You hear this morning? Your opportunity has come. You need to pray with somebody, do it now. Sitting in the silence with God can sometimes be the most awkward moments of your life. Maybe we live lives that are a little too noisy. Maybe we don't get alone with God enough. Maybe you've not heard Him speak because you've not slowed down enough. Today's that day. Will you trust Him with whatever it is? Maybe it's not on an altar. Maybe it's right there in the quietness of your seat. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.